0: Hi, I'm Dr. Jess Cap, and this is Storybook Earth. Welcome to Storybook Earth, a podcast that fuses science and storytelling, two of my favorite things, to bring you vibrant tales of notable earth features, phenomena, and places, and the geological processes that make them what they are. From the tiniest minerals in the oldest rocks on earth, to the giant asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, from the strange and mysterious trenches of the ocean to the romanticized top of Mount Everest, the stories in the chapters of Earth's long and beautiful history are all around us, just waiting to be told. The world is such a colorful place. I don't know about you, but colors have pretty powerful associations for me. Green makes me think of my home, where there are rolling hills of green grass and lots of leafy trees and bushes. Blue takes me right to the ocean. I can practically hear the waves crashing on my favorite Hawaiian beach as I gaze out upon the vast blue sea. And yellow puts me spack-dab in the middle of my childhood, in my first bedroom where everything was yellow, even my canopy bed and the gingham-checked comforter I slept beneath. Yellow happens to be my favorite color, by the way, which I think puts me in a minority among the masses who seem to love purple and pink and turquoise, but I digress. When I was learning how to identify minerals in my introductory physical geology course, one of the first things we were told was that color is not a great indicator of what mineral you are looking at. That's because there are some minerals that can come in a variety of colors, so it's hard to define minerals based on their color. For instance, you've probably heard of amethyst, that lovely purple mineral that is so common in the giant geodes you often see for sale at mineral shows or in furniture and decor shops. Amethyst is just a version of the mineral quartz, and quartz can also be clear, white, pink, gray, even black in some cases. In fact, the purple version of quartz is really not that common. You don't see amethyst in rocks like granite or sandstone, which are common rocks at Earth's surface. But you do see the white or clear quartz in those rocks. So you see, if you were looking for the color purple to help you identify quartz, well, you would miss most of the quartz that is out there to be seen, and that would be a shame. not be a great way to identify minerals, but it turns out color can tell us a lot about rocks, especially igneous rocks, my favorite type, which come in two varieties of color, very broadly speaking, that tell us really interesting things about their origin. And while green might take me to the rolling hills of upstate New York, and blue brings me immediately to the edge of the ocean, colors like white, pink, gray, black, And even red have taken on completely new associations for me since becoming a geologist. Oh rocks, they reveal so many secrets, uncover what we cannot see in such elegant ways. To understand what an igneous rock's color can tell us, we must first begin with some basics about Earth's layers. Again, some middle school science. You probably know the Earth has three basic compositional layers. The crust, the mantle, and the core. Earth's layers are formed early in her history when she's still a molten ball of magma, cooling slowly. And while Earth was composed mostly of melted rock, an important thing began to happen. The densest elements found within the magma, things like iron, began to sink toward the center of Earth. While the less dense materials, like silicon, stayed near Earth's outer edge. This created the layers we know and love today, crust, mantle, and core, all of which have different compositions and densities. Our core is all metal, iron and nickel, which are quite dense, while our crust is mainly composed of silicon, oxygen, and other various low-density elements. The mantle, being in between the two, is a combination of dense things like iron and magnesium and less dense things like silicon. Now, why does this matter in our discussion of the colors of igneous rocks? Well, because magmas form in the mantle and sometimes in the lower crust. The higher density materials that make up the mantle are dark in color. Iron and magnesium rich minerals tend to be black or dark green. But the crust is composed mostly of silicon and oxygen, lower density materials that are light in color. So it stands to reason that magmas that come from the mantle will cool into dark-colored rocks, and magmas that come from the crust will cool into light-colored rocks, and in fact, that is what happens. We call dark materials mafic, a word that combines the M for magnesium and the F symbolizing iron. A great example of this is the Big Island of Hawaii, created from cooling lava erupting from deep in the mantle. The shores of the Big Island are black-colored rocks called basalt, the same rocks that make up the ocean floor, which incidentally was also formed from erupting lava sourced in the mantle. We call light materials felsic. Fel for feldspar, a common mineral in the crust that contains silicon and oxygen, and Si for silicon. If you've ever been hiking through the Sierra Nevada mountains or the Cascades, or even the Catalina Mountains north of my home here in Tucson, you've seen peaks made of light-colored rocks, white or pale pink, that came from melting of the Earth's crust. These rocks cooled from felsic magma. So now we have two end-members of color, generally speaking, the dark-colored mafic rocks of the mantle and the light-colored felsic rocks of the crust. What do you think happens, then, when mantle magmas rise through the crust and melt them a little bit and mix with some of that crustal magma? We get intermediate colored rocks that are a combination of the dark colored magmas and the light colored magmas. Mafic, intermediate, and felsic dark, medium, and light-colored. That's all you need to begin to tell the story of where the source of magma was inside the earth when you look at an igneous rock. A dark-colored igneous rock came from the mantle, and a light-colored igneous rock came from the crust. That in itself is pretty powerful information. It turns out there's even more we can say about the magmas simply based on the color of the resulting rock. Let's start with the black mafic rocks, like those that make up the beautiful new land forming on the Big Island of Hawaii. Mafic magmas, which come from the mantle, require higher temperatures to form. The materials in the mantle, sitting more than 100 kilometers beneath our feet, are under higher pressure than the rocks that are shallower in the crust. This makes it harder for these mantle rocks to melt. Now, it's already pretty hot down there, it gets hotter and hotter the deeper we go in the Earth, so mantle rocks are already quite hot, like sometimes more than 1,000 degrees C before they even begin to melt. Usually what triggers melting of these mantle rocks is a decrease in the pressure they are experiencing in response to them moving upward through the Earth. Relieve some pressure on an already hot rock and it can begin to melt. There are also places on Earth called hot spots places where there is a concentrated increase of temperature in the mantle, such as the hotspot that creates the Big Island of Hawaii. So we know that mafic rocks come from magmas that are often upwards of 1,000 degrees C. That's pretty toasty. These very high temperature mafic magmas, when erupted on Earth's surface, flow pretty easily too, creating rivers of lava. So we say they're not viscous. Viscosity is a resistance to flow, and these magmas flow pretty well. Because they are pretty flowy, they also allow dissolved gases to escape quite easily, meaning volcanoes formed by mafic magmas have what we call peaceful eruptions, if you can imagine that. That's a lot you can say about the history of igneous Rock, just based on its dark color. So now what would you predict about the characteristics of felsic magmas? Remember, these come from the crust, are composed of light-colored, lower-density minerals, and form shallower in the earth, in the middle to lower crust, where the temperature is not as high. These magmas are basically the opposite of mafic magmas. Felsic magmas are lower-temperature magmas, in the neighborhood of 6 to 700 degrees C. They're very viscous, meaning they do not flow easily, and therefore, they don't allow the dissolved gases in their magma to escape very easily. And this leads to very violent and explosive eruptions from volcanoes formed by felsic magmas. When they do erupt, there isn't much lava. Because the magma is viscous, it often doesn't make it up and out of the top of the volcano, These eruptions are often dominated by large ash and gas clouds blown energetically out of the top or side of the volcano. Think Mount St. Helens. In reality, many magmas are intermediate, which happens to behave very much like felsic magma and leads to explosive and dangerous eruptions. The amazing, fiery histories of igneous rocks, where their source magmas came from in the earth, how hot those magmas were, how they flowed and behaved, are obviously more complicated than just what their color tells us. But boy, does color give us some important thesis statements. Anyone can begin to tell the story of an igneous rock using its color. But what about the other rock types? Metamorphic rocks are really complicated, but still, Dark-colored metamorphic rocks indicate higher-density iron and magnesium-rich source rocks, maybe from the mantle, that have undergone some sort of change. And light-colored metamorphic rocks might indicate lower-density silica-rich sources, perhaps from the crust, that have gone through some sort of change. And because sedimentary rocks come from pre-existing rocks, their color can also give us clues as to whether that pre-existing rock was mafic or felsic. There are of course exceptions to this, like limestones, a sedimentary rock that forms in the oceans from the precipitated microscopic shells and skeletons of tiny sea creatures. It's often a dark gray color that we might want to call intermediate, but in the case of limestones, the color isn't telling us anything about crust or mantle, So we have to be a little careful. But one color I associate with knowing something cool about sedimentary rocks is the color red. Red often gives us a really important piece of information about a sedimentary rock's composition and possibly its history. In general, a sedimentary rock with a rusty red color is exactly that, rusty. It tells us that somewhere in that rock, Usually in between the grains of sediment that make up the rock, there are tiny particles of iron that when exposed to oxygen reacted and rusted into the orangey red that then stains the rocks, that beautiful color. Think of the red rocks of Sedona, Arizona. Thick stacks of red sandstone that make a stunning backdrop for hiking, biking, and puttering around the quaint downtown. While the sand that makes up those sandstones is largely all white or clear quartz, the iron in between the sand grains is responsible for those colors of a sunset that make the Sedona sandstones so special. Another example is the red wall limestone in the Grand Canyon, which is actually white in color, but it is stained red by the oxidized mudstones above it that have weathered and run off onto the underlying cliffs of the red wall. And even the red, cherty layers of three-billion-year-old banded iron formations, sedimentary rocks that were building up on the floors of the shallow oceans as oxygen was building up in Earth's atmosphere, they're red because they contain tiny red iron oxide particles. Banded iron formations tell us so very much about how the oceans and atmosphere were changing due to photosynthetic production of oxygen early in Earth's history. They deserve and shall have their own chapter of Storybook Earth. Black, gray, pink, white, and red. Colors I'm so used to seeing when I roll a rock around in my hand. Colors that used to be no more than choices in a Crayola crayon box. How amazing to know that there's so much more. To know that they can indicate depth, temperature, composition, density, even chemical reactions that are part of the rich tapestry of a rock's life. Maybe you'll never look at a rock the same way again. Will you take in its color and wonder if it came from the fiery depths of the mantle? Or perhaps if it traveled a shorter distance from the middle of the Earth's crust? The next time you visit a place with glowing red sandstones, will you think about the iron within, rusting over years and years, painting them the colors of a late evening sky? I hope so. What a fantastic way to take in the colors of the landscape that surrounds you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please consider subscribing, liking, writing a review, and sharing this with a friend or two. Thanks to our listeners and supporters. Special thanks to Michaela Moore for music, sound editing, and design, and to Pierce Ware for the artwork. The Geology Podcast Network is sponsored by Traveling Geologist.